And uh, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Hopefully you're having a happy new year so far. We're starting today, starting this new series called Surge, because we want to get, for 2023, we want to get a boost of God's power to go in the right direction. We want to surge and shine brighter. And this is part one. And uh, we're just a two-week, two-part series. And I'll talk more about what we're doing after that uh, as we go through the sermon today. But we're going to be in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. It will come up on the screen. And if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles in our pews. So you can use that. If you don't have a Bible, then take it home and keep it as our gift to you. Um, Last year, we looked at the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. We spent a long time going through that series. um, And that series really helped to frame our moment as a church, kind of last year, thinking about coming out of the pandemic, thinking about trying to rebuild. What is, how is God calling us to rebuild? We're in this re- rebuilding phase. And uh, I want to continue in that vein today. Um, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 2, though. But we're still really in that rebuilding spirit. Uh, we're still trying to um, strive towards uh, restoring things that we, you know, personally, but also as a church, lost um, because of the pandemic. And so today I want to continue in that vein and look towards what it is we're rebuilding this year, um, but also remind us of some fundamental, some foundational things that we never want to lose, things that we want to make sure are staying central uh, to us. So uh, today we're, we're turning to the first Christians and the first church, and we want to learn from the blueprint that we're giving, given here in the Bible. So let me pray, and then we'll read this. Jesus, thank you for this new year. Thank you for this awesome group of people. Thank you for your church coming together today. And I pray that you bless us. I pray that we would be filled with your power and your spirit, that we would surge spiritually, that we would be alive and shining brightly for you. And I pray, give us hope and vision and faith for this year, for what you want to do this year in us and through us. Speak to us through your word and give us hearts for you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Verse 42. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings, and distributing the proceeds to all, as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is God's word. It's important that we learn to value and follow the pattern of the New Testament church, the first church that was started by Jesus. Because how can we expect to do the things that they did and have the fruit that they had if we don't do the things that they did? It says that they devoted themselves. What is devotion? Devotion can be described as a profound dedication or... um, a deep commitment or, or, or an attachment to either a person or a cause. 
And as human beings, we are we're deeply, intrinsically devoted. We can't help. We're constantly, either we're enslaving ourselves to things that hurt us, or we're giving ourselves to, to sometimes positive things, but we are devotional creatures. We'll find anything sometimes just to lock ourselves onto it, to give us meaning and hope and purpose in this world. And so, as believers, though, anyone who's spiritual, anyone who's religious, I think we'd all agree that the thing we're supposed to be devoted to above anything is God, right? Okay, my devotion is, is first and foremost to God. In theory, we might say that. And, but in practice, we don't always do it, right? We, we would say, yeah, if, we were, if we're having a conversation with someone, we'd say, yes, of course, you're supposed to be devoted to God above all else, right? Um, and sometimes that we mean that, and sometimes that's lip service, because we know that's the right answer. Um, do we actually do that in practice? Of course, so, so theoretically, yeah, God's um, the thing we're supposed to be de- devoted to uh, first and foremost. But when it comes to being devoted to each other, or uh, being devoted to the things that we're supposed to do together, well, that's a bit of a different question, isn't it? That's a bit of a different story. It's a little bit more risky. It's like, oh, yeah, devoted, devotion to God, of course you're supposed to be devoted to God. That's the highest thing you could be devoted to. But devotion to people and to the things that we're supposed to do together, well, that's, that's, I'm not sure about that. Maybe we've been let down one too many times to, to, to gamble on that, to take that, that chance on that. Maybe was when our parents got divorced or that person betrayed us or that friend ghosted us or we were in a toxic environment, something happened or just the the ice cream machine at McDonald's broke one too many times and we just lost all hope in humanity said, that's it, I can't trust anyone ever again anymore. And it's so easy to want to say you know, my, my, my faith just is mainly just going to be private. It's just going to be about me and Jesus. You know, I'm just going to have a strong connection with Jesus, just me and Jesus, because that's a lot less risky, right, than entrusting myself to others who might believe. But if we're, gonna, if we're truly going to be a church that reflects the heart of God, then we have to be a church that values the things that God's church, the first church that he started, that they valued. So we've got this list of values, this list of priorities, things that they were devoted to. I've got nine things. I said eight earlier on because I forgot there were nine, but there's actually nine. Don't worry. Some will be long. Some will be short. Don't worry. People, people should be worried when a preacher says there's nine points. Just FYI, if you've not been to church before, that's a worrying sign. Normally, I don't have nine points, but we'll zip through them real quick. We'll, we'll try to do it. First thing that they were devoted to, the first thing they valued was the apostles' teaching. It says here, in this first verse we wrote, verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. Now, the apostles, of course, are Jesus' like, main leaders, his head leaders, right? There was the, the original 12, and then later on you add the apostle Paul to that, and there were some others that got added to that later on that were named as apostles and had apostolic ministries. But they're basically Jesus' main disciples, his main leaders, and they spent all this time with him, so they got accustomed to Jesus' teachings. They knew what Jesus was all about. And so they are just continuing. So the church is devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching because the apostles themselves were devoted to Jesus' teachings. One of the big things Jesus did, obviously miracles were a big part of his ministry, right? He's going around healing people, doing supernatural things all the time. The other big thing, if he wasn't healing people, he's teaching. You see, people called him teacher all the time. Teacher this, teacher. People ask him, what does that teaching mean? What did you mean by that? When you said that, people were always asking him, what did you mean by that? 
And, and then many people said that no one ever spoke like this man. Peter even said, where can we go? You have the words of eternal life. His words, his teaching is amazing. There's nothing more, you, could you argue there's nothing more important for Christians than for us to be devoted to the teachings of God, to what God says, to his revelation, to his word, to his truth, that we might give ourselves to it. And so for us to be authentic Christians, we, we have to be committed to, to, to the word because there's lots of things, there's lots of false teachings that we could hear, right? Lots of people will make up outrageous things sometimes uh, and teach and, and, and claim and twist scripture and say all kinds of stuff. I've even heard some of the outrageous stuff I've heard before is people trying to claim that Jesus wasn't British. But listen... I'm from British. And I know stuff. At least I'm, I'm, I'm convinced he had a British accent. I do not have a British accent anymore. But people, the point is, is that we're supposed to be intentionally devoted, feeding ourselves intentionally on God's word because there's so much erroneous thinking out there. There's so much deception in the world. The world, what does the world love to do? It loves to deceive, it loves to lie, it loves to twist things us to present things in ways that aren't true. And, but God's word is truth. God is holy. This is holy, holy, holy. Not, you can't get anything more holy than God, which is why he's our highest devotion. But we've got to be committed to the revelation, the teaching that came through Jesus and then was continued by his apostles and continued. We see this in church history. We see it throughout the ages, committed to that teaching. And every time I, I secretly, whenever I'm talking about the word, being devoted to the word, just an FYI, for us as a church. And anytime I'm bigging up the word, talking about the word, feel free to holler out, to shout out, word. All right? Or, or word up. You could go word up. Or word up, yo. That could also work. Word up, yo. Maybe. Do you want to practice? Anyone fill up for a word? Hey, we've got to be devoted to the word. Word. There we go. Okay, if, if that becomes part of our culture, do you think people will think we're crazy when they show up? This church, they, yes, that was a yes. So we don't normally do that, by the way. But sometimes I have these fantasies, you know, I'm just like, man, it'd be really, wouldn't it be great? I guess in reality it's not great. I'm just testing out my material here. Second thing we need to be devoted to, that we need to value, is fellowship. It tells us it right there in that, in that first verse we looked at. They were devoted to fellowship and they had a profound commitment to their own community. Of course, as Christians, we love people who aren't a part of our community. Of course, of course we do. We love our neighbor, we love that, everyone that we're in proximity to, of course. But they, uh, it's so important to be committed to value the fellowship of believers. And so for them, that meant that they uh, were sharing things, that they were all participating somehow. They had great levels of ownership. And to get to that sense of true fellowship in any, sense, any, any Christian community... It takes initiative, doesn't it? Community and fellowship doesn't just happen. It's not like a, you know, it's not like a magic thing that just, you know, just appears randomly. Like, oh, look, there's just a community there. No, it, it takes people intentionally being in each other's lives to actually form bonds and to form trust and to care about each other and to work through all the challenges of real-world relationships. And Taking initiative is not some ethereal thing that just floats around. It's an abstract idea that you just say, oh, yeah, when, when does initiative happen? It's just something that just, you know, it's like a celestial thing. It's just when the stars align. It's something that happens. It's like, no, no, no. Initiative comes from initiators. Initiative comes from initiators, people who take the initiative. 
And so for us, especially in our context, in, a, in an urban context where people are coming and going, where life can be busy, we have to be the kind of people who are willing to go deep with people quickly. Because it takes time. It takes time to build trust. It takes time to build depth. You don't have to go deep with everyone. That wouldn't be wise. But you go deep with some. You go deep with some. Be, be, be open to all, but go deep with some. And so to, 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 to become an initiator, to, to build that kind of community, we've got to be devoted and willing to deal with all the difficulties that we might face in real relationships. Because some people are great to hang out with, aren't they? They're great. Some of us are some of those people, not all of us, not all of us, unfortunately. But, you know, some, hey, when it's, great, when, when it's easy to hang out with people, wonderful. You get along with people. And sometimes we have an idea of, of community that is very idealistic, right? Very idealistic. Shouldn't all these people be my besties and love me and get along with me? And, but to form true fellowship and community, we have to be willing to face all the annoying things and difficult things about other people, especially people who haven't learned to chew with their mouths closed. It's a problem. Some of us never learned our manners. We all, some, you know, even the best of us, even those of us who are maybe more enjoyable to be around at times, even us, even people, those people have, have bad moments, difficult moments to be around. To form true community and true fellowship, we've got to be willing to say, I'm going to deal, I've got to, I've got to be willing to face all the different challenges that come along with that and to, to be willing to endure that. So ask yourself a couple of questions and we should all ask ourselves these questions. You know, to build, to be an initiator, think, is there anyone in this church, in this church family, that I could bless? Somebody I can bless them somehow. I can do, I can serve them or just encourage them. Maybe it's just a word of encouragement. Anyway, something I can do to bless them. Or consider this, is there somebody that you have any, any tension with? Any frustrations with? How can you smooth it out? Is there, is there a way to smooth that out? To take some steps, to take initiative, to say, I, I want to be in good fellowship. I want to be in good community with people. I've got to work at that. It is, well, that's one of the things I learned through the pandemic and after the pandemic, how few people are willing to face the difficulties of normal relationships. And we were also isolated, and we, we've, just got to, we've got to unlearn some things that we learned during that, that season and to build the true fellowship. They were devoted to it. They valued it. They did it. It means being purposeful. It means show, the first thing is showing up. How can you build fellowship and community if you don't show up? You've got to, show, you've got to be present. And then, and then it's going deeper. Then it's participating. Then it's taking on responsibility. Then it's getting to know people, spending time. And, and one of the big secrets to, to, to good friendships is uh, sharing memes with each other if you didn't know that. So we've got, we've got to up our meme game this year. So if you're on our Slack, our online community, you can uh, be sharing memes. I think we have, do we have a meme channel? We have a random channel where you can, we can share memes. We did a meme party actually before. We need to get our meme party going again. But uh, that's, you know, the temptation is, is that we want to be, we want, we want a friend rather than being a friend. Isn't that the temptation? I want this other person to be my friend rather than I'm going to be a friend to somebody else. And then lowering my expectations. Here's a better strategy for forming friendships and connections is I'm going to bless a lot of people. I'm going to be friendly to a lot of people. I'm going to cast a wide net, have low expectations. And out of that, maybe a few of those will go deeper. That's a much better strategy. Because otherwise we live with this idealism of, oh, that person, I really want to be their friend. Problem is if they don't feel the same way, then we're crushed. 
it's taken me years to figure this stuff out. So you're welcome, saving you a lifetime of uh, toil and pain and trauma. It, that's a much better approach to it, rather than I crave a connection with this person saying, no, I'm just going to bless everyone and, and see where God blesses those connections, the ones that go deeper. And, you know, you only need a, tr- a few really deep friendships in life. Um, and typically, you can't maintain more than that. Anyway, I'm talking about true friendships as well. Um, we can have uh, fellowships with, with all kinds of people and, and broad connections with people, but those, those deeper ones where we truly can share who we are and what we're struggling with, uh, you know, those are few and far between, and you're only going to find them if, if we have a big net, that we're casting a big net of relationships and connections. So we want to be like the first church. We want to value and be devoted to fellowship. The third thing that we see in this passage is we see they were breaking bread together. They were breaking bread together. Of course, this is a huge thing in Christian history, um, you know, that Christians are devoted to communion. We take communion each week. We'll be taking it uh, later on in our service. We're committed to doing that on a Sunday. And I want to say this year as well, just a reminder as we go through communion, uh, we want to, uh, on Sundays when we do it together, when we, we have that moment of communion, to really up our expectations. That this is a moment, it's not just a ritual, I mean, it is that. It's not just a ceremony, it is that. But it's, it's a moment to commune with God. It's a moment to, to have a meal with God, to connect with God, to be unified with our Christian brothers and sisters. So that be expectant that God would meet you as you take communion, as you get the cracker and the bread. And, 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 and it's a sacred moment. You know, in our culture, we're in a culture that has no sacredness in it. There's nothing of deep meaning in our culture. It's so shallow and empty. Everything's cool. Everything in our culture has to be cool. You know, what we have that the world doesn't have is we have communion. This moment where we can come before God with each other and we can have a meal with God and we can expect to meet with God and to, to, to be nourished by him. But one thing that we can up our game with, we saw in verse uh, 46, it says that they were breaking bread in their homes as well. So it's not just in our larger public gathering that we break bread together, but we should be breaking bread together in our homes. So here's something I want us to do starting this semester and then continuing on uh, this year is for our small groups to integrate communion. Can we do that, small group leaders? Can we make that happen uh, this semester especially? And here's my plan for this is um, to officially make week six of our small group semester communion week. Now, groups are free to do it as often as they want. You could do it every week if you want. That would be great. But we could, we could officially make week six church-wide communion week, so that way we're all definitely doing it on the same week, kind of unified in our rhythms together as a church, to be honoring God in that way. The other thing that breaking bread means is to share a meal. Because typically for those in the New Testament, when they're breaking bread, it was because they were already sitting down to eat together and they already had the bread and the wine with them. So like these are two common elements. So we're going to take these elements and we're going to break bread together as we have this full meal that we're going to share. So having a meal, and by the way, breaking bread should not be confused with breaking bad. Sounds similar. Although I guess breaking, I guess communion is the greatest breaking bad there could be. Isn't that right? Jesus broke bad. Okay. Note to self, that one didn't work. Strike from the set. Having a meal. Breaking bread is about having a meal together. So this year, I I think to build fellowship, to to, to be those who commune with God and commune with each other, I think we want to be those who are sharing more meals together. We're, We're eating together more. 
And I think we did a lot of this uh, last year, but we need to up our game together and be willing to host, to, to have hospitality, to invite people into our homes, to, or to go out to eat more, just to share more food together. The fourth thing that we see in this passage is we see uh, they were devoted to the prayers. They valued the prayers. Now, prayer, of course, Jesus prayed. Jesus was always withdrawing from the crowds, praying. The disciples said, Jesus, how do you pray? Teach us how to pray. If we're not devoted to prayer... Are we dependent on God? How deep is our relationship with God if we don't value prayer? What kind of church are we if we don't pray? What kind of Christians are we if we don't pray? Prayer is kind of a measurement, it's a barometer of true devotion. Because through prayer, what happens through prayer is prayer can set you free. God answers prayers. Prayers get us closer to God, more intimacy with God. Prayer can help make God's word alive to us even more as we pray over God's word and as we pray out God's word and as we pray for the fulfillment of God's promises in God's word. We've got to be a praying church. And we do value prayer as a church. We have about three times a year we do these prayer and fasting events. And I want to ask you, if you're somebody who tends to avoid those, um, ask yourself why. Why do I avoid those? What's, what's wrong with me? Because that's, that's not right. There's something wrong with a Christian who avoids prayer. A Christian who avoids prayer, something going on there. Something not right about that. So this year we're going to expand our prayer and fasting events. We normally do them on Monday nights, doing three times a year, 7 till 9 p.m. And if you don't fast or you can't fast or you're not sure about fasting, don't feel the need to do that right away. Uh, just come to pray. But we're going to expand. So we've got these dates up here. These, write these down hurriedly. Write them down. Actually, you're not, you say, well, I'm not going to write these down. I'm not going to remember these. So here's what you need to do is, yeah, take a picture, that's smart. But even smarter than taking a picture is to subscribe to our church calendar. Who, show of hands, who subscribed to the church calendar? Wow, you guys have failed. Apart from those of you who put your hands up, of course. So, oh, I didn't raise my hand. I've got to raise my hand. Subscribe. Okay, here's what you're going to do is you're going to go to try.church slash calendar. Okay? And... Um, we have a Google, Google Calendar, and you can import it into your calendar, whether you have an iCal or Google Calendar. And that way, all of our church events will populate your calendar, and you'll be able to see when we're doing stuff. And um, hopefully, therefore, be able to prioritize those things a little bit more. But we've got to be a praying church. We've got to be a church that's seeking God's presence, that's seeking God's will, and, and, and crying out to him for breakthrough, crying out uh, to him to meet our needs, and crying out for him to bless our mission here, to be more fruitful for his glory. The, uh, the fifth thing that we see in this passage is we see that the church valued and experienced signs and wonders. They valued and experienced signs and wonders. Now, miracles happen at key points throughout the Bible. And of course, the ministry of Jesus was filled with miraculous things, healings, um, people being set free from demons, uh, miraculous provision for different things, breakthroughs, you know, different, all kind of crazy things happening. And typically... Signs and wonders happen to, obviously, there can be answers to prayers. They can be, you know, God speaking to us and affirming his faithfulness and provision and protection over us. Like, all of that is true. But in large part, they happen to validate and to indicate who Jesus is and that what he says is true. That's why they're called signs, all right? Because the, the miracle itself is not something... Um, you know, we shouldn't be too enamored with the supernatural. God, God's power has not diminished since, since the days of the New Testament, right? It's not like, oh, you know, God's not like a, 
guy who had like a big bucket of fairy dust and was like, you know, I just got a little too happy and used it all up. And sorry, we ran out. So no more miracles for anyone ever again. It doesn't work that way. We have an omnipresent, omniscient, omni-everything God who has all the power and still does signs and wonders today. Whenever I say this, there's, there's a certain amount of Christians who are like, yes, yes, I've seen it, I believe it, I'm, yeah, that's great, I'm on board with that. Then there are plenty of others who are always like, I've never seen anything. Uh, I, I just, you know, part of, the, part of the reason that a lot of people in our context haven't seen anything before is firstly, they don't pray for it, they don't expect it. We live in a culture that is the prizes rationality and logic, even though we're inherently illogical beings, right? We assign logic, you know that, right? We assign logic to the things we do, right? We, we make emotional decisions and then come up with reasons for them after the fact. We all do that. I do that. We all do that. You know, the Bible's clear on that, really. You know, that's true. We're, we're, we're not logical. We're, we're emotion-driven creatures. But we're in a culture that prizes objectivity and that is afraid of excessive expressions of, of religion, uh, to put it in those terms. And, and unfortunately, what that creates for a lot of Christians is doubt. Being scared about stepping out and in, in praying, asking God for big things. And, but here's why miracles are important. Here's why it's important to pray for the sick. Here's why it's important to pray for a breakthrough, to ask God to do something supernatural, is because when supernatural things happen, and they still happen, they happened in the Bible, they've happened through, you know, throughout church history, there is consistent, constant recording of miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. Just read some church history, you'll find it all over the place. And also contemporary testimony. But we don't believe because of history or because of contemporary testimony. We believe because the Bible tells us that it still can happen. That's why we believe it. Um, but the reason, the, the reason we want to see more powerful things happen is because oftentimes that's what leads people to believe in God. Do you know the person who became a believer because they're like, you know, I just read enough Christian apologetics books and just talked to enough intelligent Christians who just answered all my questions so eloquently and perfectly. I just had to believe. I just had no choice. All right, find me that person. Maybe there's one somewhere. Someone somewhere. Maybe there's one person. Typically, it's not that. Typically, people have a spiritual experience. They have a dream. They have a vision. They see a miracle. Some, some crazy coincidence that could not be possible happens, and they realize, God is speaking to me. That's the, power, that's the importance of signs and wonders, seeing signs and wonders. And so what we're going to do uh, at the beginning of this year, in two weeks, we're going to start a series. It's going to be a longer series again, a little bit like Nehemiah. You're going to love it. You're going to love it. It's going to be called The Things of the Spirit. And we're going to go through... Week after week, we're going to be doing a deep dive into what does the Bible teach us about the person, ministry, and work of the Holy Spirit. Because you know, you've ever heard of the Holy Spirit before, right? Father, Son, Spirit, right? That guy, the third guy in the Trinity. Our church is called Trinity. So we can't just be about the Father. We can't just be about the Son. We have to be about the Holy Spirit too. All right? Too many churches are Father, Son, and Holy Bible. We have to be Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And not to say anything bad about the Bible, but we understand Jesus is the word to us, right? The unchanging word to us, of course. So we're going to be, so come along for the ride. We're going to be turning up the dial of faith to expect God for bigger things. The sixth thing that we see in this passage that we read is that we're, that we're a church of generosity. 
What are they doing? They're sharing all of their possessions. They're selling their property. They're sharing things. It said that their, their hearts were filled with gladness and generosity as they ate together and shared food together and shared other possessions together. They're, they, 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 they're, they're a church marked by gracious giving. And if this is a blueprint um, for churches throughout history, which I think it is a blueprint for churches throughout history, all churches have modeled themselves after this first church. This is Jesus established his church. So we, we follow his blueprint. Nobody else's blueprint. It's the blueprint of Jesus. And out of, out of, out of all these ones that we're looking at today, I just want to say, I feel like I want to score our church highest in this one. Because I feel like we have an incredibly generous church. And I'm so blessed and blown away by your consistent giving, both to our, you know, your tithes that come into our regular offering and the special offerings we do. You guys are amazing. You humble me. And if you're somebody who's sitting there saying, like, oh no, that's not me. I'm not there yet. Then this is a great place to be because you'll learn to be generous because we have a very outward-focused, generous, lavish church, which is a direct reflection of the lavish, generous heart of God. So thumbs up, gold star, you win the prize. Good job. Don't worry, there's still rewards in heaven. You'll get rewards in heaven as well. But I just wanted to praise our church for, the, for the, our generosity today. And a um, couple of points on, on generosity. Because we're always going to have new people in our church, and because um, we always want to be discipling people to grow in financial stewardship and generosity, um, if we are going to be you know, continuing to talk about giving and, and money-related things. We just did a big series on money at the end of the year. Our small groups are going through this book, Managing God's Money. So we're still going to be talking about those things because they're foundational Christian things. And if you're somebody who's not um, tithing, you're, not, you're a Christian, you, you follow Jesus, but you're not really invested in any church, let me ask you, would you bring your tithe into our church? God will bless it if you do that. And ministry runs on the giving of Christians. God has always used his people to fund his mission and his ministry. And so your giving can make all the difference. And um, we're doing our small groups on money-related things this semester. So I actually have two free books here for the curriculum. All our small groups are doing the same curriculum this semester, Managing God's Money by Randy Alcorn. If you would like a free copy, they're up here. So come up, up the end, first come, first serve. They're sitting right there. So take them. Don't take a candle, although that would be fun. But I guess it's kind of obvious if you take a candle, right? Can you see that? Is it kind of obvious if you take a candle? Kind of, I'm on fire. Now you know they're fake, right? Shouldn't have done that. The illusion has been spoiled. Let me also say this about special offerings. We do two special offerings a year, above and beyond our regular giving. And at Easter time, we, we do our tangible community building fund. And then at the end of the year, we do our special Christmas offering. And I want to ask you to, uh, if you're not doing this, but to start planning, start preparing to now to give towards those. Now, that's a radical thing to say, isn't it? I think it is. Here's what Heather and I do. We actually budget each month. We put aside an extra part of our income to save up for special offerings. And our two special offerings we do, we only do two a year. They're about six months apart. So that way, we're planning. When we get to that date, we're planning. We've already got a, a generous amount. So rather than getting there and scrambling and saying, like, oh, no, we, we don't have enough, we want to give more, we don't have it. We've already saved it up and put it aside so we're able to maximize. And then if we 
somehow have, we've been blessed more in that moment and we can give extra on top of that, we'll do that. We've done that at different times as well. But let me ask you to up your game in terms of thinking about and planning for special offerings. Now, we just did our Christmas special offering at the end of last year. Are you ready to hear the total? Our goal was $15,000. We're giving to some really important things. Our biggest recipient is Grip Youth, giving towards um, helping to to mentor at-risk youth in Chicago. And I know many people have uh, shared with me just how stirred they were by by that ministry and that cause. And uh, I think that was a big reason reason why we've blown through our goal. And this is the total. Dun, dun, dun. $20,507.04. You guys did that. We did that. That's amazing. Thank you so much for your generosity. If you're kicking yourself and saying, I missed it. <laughs> I'm the one, one person who, who still didn't give. You can still give. All right. You can give online any point. You just uh, mark that it's for the, the Christmas offering and we'll get it to the right place. All right. So it's not too late. Uh, but that, what an amazing, um, amazing fruit. Isn't that an amazing fruit to see? We're giving all that money away. We're giving that away. And we want to invest it and see it grow in the things that we're giving it to. All right. Um, The seventh thing that they saw, moving along uh, quickly here. The seventh thing that they saw or that we saw that they valued here uh, in this passage is um, they had small and large public gatherings. They had small and large public gatherings or meetings. And, of course, we, we already talked about the fellowship and breaking bread in homes. Like, of course, we have small groups and, you know, we want to be connected in, in those smaller groups as well. But... Don't forget, it says every day they were gathering in the temple early on. They gathered in the temple. They thought it was really important that they had a bigger meeting venue that they could all get together uh, in. And I don't think we're in danger of doing this, but every so often someone will show up at Trinity and they'll be really negative about like the big public meeting. They'll be really negative about it. And they're all about just having a small group of Christians and and. I'm glad that they're excited about that because we all need to be in a small group of Christians at some time. But guys, we've got to follow the, br- the blueprint that Jesus gave us, which is you do both. You have a smaller, intimate group that you're going deeper with, that you're looking at the world with, you're praying with, you're getting to know those people. But then you have that larger thing that you come to, the larger gathering where the word is preached, where that's where we give. About, we just talk about generosity. That's where we give to that. Then we, we do communion together. and We sing worship songs together. Like we, there, There's different benefits to the different sizes. And we don't want to be those who diminish gathering together. There are verses in the, Bible, in the New Testament that tell us, don't neglect to meet together. Don't devalue it. Every so often I hear Every so often I hear a Christian say this, where they'll kind of start downplaying the importance of doing that. The first Christians didn't do that. They did not do that. They prioritized meeting together each week publicly. The only times that Christians don't do this is under persecution. When what's called the underground church, right? Christians are afraid for their lives. They're being persecuted by the state or by cartels or whoever it might be. And so they have to go underground, as it were. They have to meet secretly. So they can't advertise. So you can't have a lot of people. It's restricted. There are certain places around the world where Christians, they, they have to have a, a government. It's to, to, to have a Christian meeting, it has to be limited to a certain number of people. And you have to have somebody from the government there listening to it. I was just talking to someone who was just telling me this the other day. 
in, uh, particularly in communist countries, that happens. You have to have somebody from the communist party. They're there listening to your conversation so that, so that you don't say anything bad about the government. So there's no revolution being planned. Because they're, they're, they're afraid of Jesus. They're afraid of the Christian message. They're afraid of, of this. They want power and control. Praise God we don't live in that context. But that's the only time that happens. When you say we can only meet in this smaller gathering. Otherwise... We say, we know, we, we, we get together, we, we prioritize it. So let me ask you this year, 2023, up your game in terms of being here in the larger public gathering of the saints. It's super important. We don't Sabbath from church. We, we, don't, we don't say, oh, I, need, I just need a break. It's too much. Church is one of the things that rejuvenates us. We, we, we come because we, we need to be filled with the Spirit. We need to be connected with our brothers and sisters. We need to... We need to be filled with, with worship. We need to be reminded of the truth. I mean, we're weak. We're, we're broken, fragile vessels that we get filled up, but then we leak it all out and we get weak again. And we need to come to be filled, to be encouraged, to be reminded. And we, we, it's so important. So I know, I know there's commitments. I've got commitments myself. I'm not here every Sunday. I've, I'm gone sometimes doing different things. But let me ask you, do everything you can to be present. When you're not here, your absence is noticed. This is what the first Christians did. And if you've got work, say, say work is a conflict for you, pray. Ask God to give you favor with your work to change your hours. And ask your boss. Just directly ask him. I have testimony of this in my own life. When I've asked bosses before, though I was scheduled to work on Sundays, and I said, I really want to go to church. It's really important to me. Can we work the schedule out where I can go more or I'm off on Sundays? And... Several times that actually worked out. God answered that prayer and answered that request. There's no, typically, there's no harm in asking that. Up the game with that. Then the eighth thing that we see that they valued here uh, is praise. We see praise and worship. And um, it says all the people were praising God. Their, their hearts were filled. They had awe in God. That's the other thing that it says here. And so we want to be a church that... We are a church, I think, that values worship. We want to have celebratory worship. We want to have a worship that is emotionally in, has emotional integrity so that we experience all the different emotions. So it's not just somber, meaningful, you know, uh, quiet, contemplative worship. We want to have moments like that. That's important. But we want to do what David did in the Psalms, where you see the whole array of emotions reflected in worship. But the thing that's really important to us as a church is that at the end of our worship time, we end on a high note. We end in a victorious, celebratory note so that we're sent out into the world with the joy of God to live on God's mission, to spread that joy to other people. And so we want to be a church that's full of that wonder, full of that awe. And I think that this new series we're going to be doing, The Things of the Spirit, as we go through it week by week, I think that series is going to stir up our faith and our expectation, and our awe of God. So get, get ready for uh, more of that. And also, in terms of worship, I still really want those two choirs that I've been talking about from Nehemiah. And uh, we're asking everyone to stick around for next Christmas, to not go out of town, to have your family visit this coming Christmas, and to do Christmas in Chicago. And we're planning a big, uh, awesome New Year's Eve service. And Christmas Eve said, what did I say? New Year's Eve? Thank you. <laughs> Uh, yeah, once you get over 40, things happen to your brain. Um, yeah, <laughs> do, I, do I hear a word? Word up, yo. So, we made it funny in the end. Um, all right. Uh, Christmas Eve service. So, so we want to do a Christmas Eve service, and um, 
I'm wondering, could we get a choir together in time for Christmas Eve? Do I have our first volunteer? Does anyone want to jump in to be our first volunteer? We've got two, three. Anyone else? Four. Come on. We've already, we already have a choir. How many people do you need to have a viable choir? Five. That's the official number. Siri. No, I'm just kidding. Ask Siri questions in a sermon. That's ridiculous. Ask the AI chatbot. No. All right. So, so, so uh, worship. Where am I? Last point. Bonus point. Number nine. Uh, the, the, the ninth thing that we see that they valued. Um, it's going to come up any second here. I forgot what it is. Salvation in addition. This is important. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, I lost my train of thought. So, this is the final point. Don't worry, we're wrapping. We're going to be closing, landing the plane here very quickly. Um, they, when we're being the church, as they were the church, we should expect what they saw, which is as they're going out sharing the word, as they're praying, as they're being generous, as they're being on God, as they're going on God's mission, they saw people day after day turning to Christ. They saw conversions. Now we can't make people become Christians, but we can do all the things up until that point. That's up to God. But we can do all the other things up until that point. And we should do all the other things up until that point. And then the other thing they saw was not only those people believing in Jesus, but then joining their community. Saying, now we're, we're, we're in this. We're a part of this too. We're getting involved. And this year, I want us to up our faith. That's partly why we're stretching ourselves with our prayer and fasting. Why we went, We're going from three prayers and fasting to seven. That's going to stretch us, isn't it? Because there's going to be some Monday nights you're going to say, why did Matt have to add prayer and fasting this week? Because I'd rather be at home watching, what's the latest thing on Netflix? I don't even know what it is. They have nothing good anymore anyway. It's all lame. I want to just cancel all that stuff. It's so lame. Um, we, need, we, we, we want to get stretched. We want to get so stretched in our faith. And, and, and we want to strive for, and we want to say, God, help us see more people come into the faith and help, them to, help us to add them to your family. That they might come in and be, they'd be sitting next to you in worship, raising their hands on fire for Jesus. We want to have that same kind of expectation. So three things, I've got three sub-points. Sorry to do this to you, but it's on the ninth point. Three things I want to talk about. So Growth Track, we're going to be launching Growth Track um, this month. And yes, and it's been a long time coming. What is Growth Track? Growth Track is, uh, it's going to be four sessions that we're going to do on Sunday nights. It's going to be on Zoom. And you're going to have a booklet. We're going to go through it. It's going to be a pathway to membership if people want to become members, but you don't have to become a member in doing it. But the first session is going to be learn about Trinity. Then it's discover your design, all the ways God's gifted you, how to discern that and figure that out. Um, pursue depth. How do, you go, how do you grow? How do you be a disciple of Jesus? And then world changer. What is God's mission? How do you get on God's mission? Those are the four things. And everyone's going to go through it. And that's going to be, then when new people come to our church, the big thing we're going to say to people is the big vocabulary we're going to have in our culture is going to be like, hey, have you started growth track yet? Hey, have you tried? Have you, have you done the first one yet? That's going to be a big question we're going to be asking people. Hey, you should, that's the first most important thing you should try and do at Trinity is do the growth track. Pick up your booklet. It's online. Uh, it doesn't take too long. You'll learn more. You'll learn about the church, learn more about uh, what it means to be here at Trinity. All right, so that's going to help us with addition. That's going to help us with really helping people belong to our church, all right? And then the second thing is Alpha. And we did this, um, this you know, in 2022. If you don't, don't know what Alpha is, it's a, like a 12-week curriculum that is particularly good for those outside the Christian faith. And, um, but it's also good for people who are already Christians or, you know, anyone who's been a Christian any length of time can go through it. But it's 
very good as an introductory foundational course to the Christian faith, especially people searching and seeking. And we, uh, we just completed Alpha, and it was an amazing journey together that we had. Did a graduation, and uh, we're doing an Alpha social on this uh, follow-up thing on, on Tuesday to gather all those people back together and uh, continue those relationships that we've forged with, with lots of people. And um, I want to I run the same play this year. Alpha is going to be another big thing we're going to do. We're going to do the same thing again, except it's going to be bigger and better because here's why. I want, here's our goal. I want every single one of us, every single one of us to invite at least one person to Alpha. So we're going to do Alpha at the end of this year, be October, November, December, which means in September, right before that, that's go month. September is go month. So September is going to be the month where we want to get all of our invitations out and really step out in faith and say, yeah, I want to invite somebody to try the Alpha course. Somebody who's not, you know, maybe they're a new believer, could be that, but also all somebody who's, they got questions or they're, they're just open, they're willing to come and take this journey together and explore the Christian faith. Alpha is an amazing tool that God has given us that, and we've got babies agreeing with this over here. And uh, we really want to go big, uh, uh, even bigger with uh, Alpha. And so what we want to do is we want to use this summer to build up momentum towards it, just like we did in 2022. We did our hot dog fundraiser. For those of you who were here for our hot dog fundraiser, we did in the courtyard here, and we invited our whole neighborhood to it. We were raising money for Chicagoland Prison Outreach and then using that event to invite people to Alpha. That was very successful for us. God blessed that. We want to do the same thing again. So, so we want to be inviting our friends, our neighbors, people we know and love to the hot dog fundraiser so they can then get a invitation. They can eat hot dogs and raise money for Chicagoland Prison Outreach, but then also get an invitation to Alpha. So we want to run the same playbook and... Um, or the same play out of the, out of the playbook, and uh, really pray and ask God to bless it, that we might see more salvations through that. So that's our focus for this year. Is how can I, yeah, put that, uh, go ahead and put that slide back up. How can I cultivate deeper connections with my neighbors? So ask yourself, so, so, so the, to get to the point to invite somebody to Alpha, it's a big step, right? It's a scary step. Some people in our church really stepped out in this and did this. Um, Taylor's, where's Taylor, where did Taylor go to? Is he here? He went to the, <laughs> stepped out for a second. Um, but I wanted to brag on Taylor. He invited somebody um, to Alpha, and it's a big step to do that. He invited a neighbor to come. And, um, you know, I want to encourage all of us, we have to start now. We have to love people enough that we're willing to invest in them, that we're willing to, to form deeper connections and bonds with them, that God may bless that connection that we might get to a point where we, we could invite them to Alpha. We don't do it just to invite them. We do it because we love people, because we want to serve people, we want to bless people. But in the context of that, we want to hope and pray there will be an opportunity at the end of this year to invite them. But that means sowing those seeds now. That means building those connections now. That means having a purpose this year to say, I want to be on mission this year to be cultivating those connections with my neighbors. Because really, if you think about it, in our day and age, a lot of people we work with we're all spread out. A lot of people, maybe you work virtually with people who live in other cities, right? So, so it's hard to bring people to things like that locally. The best options we have, unless we live, do live close to coworkers or we have family or friends around, which some people do, but a lot of, for a lot of people, neighbors. It's our neighbors. Those are the closest people, proximity-wise, that could actually come to something like Alpha. All right, and then the third thing um, that we're going to be doing is we're going to transform our share the grace so let me share very quickly about Share the Grace. This is 
These, all these three are under the umbrella of salvation and addition, right? We're growth track, alpha, and share the grace. Share the grace. Uh, again, we do this three times a year. We go out. We sometimes do justice things. We've served at food pantries. We've done, we've done all kinds of different things. We're going to transform it a bit this year. And um, we're, going to, we're going to make it so that people have to register for it. And we're going to do Share the Grace. We're going to do it on Sunday afternoons after church. It's going to be about three hours, maybe more, maybe three or four hours. It's going to be a big deal. We're going to get food for everyone, but you've got to register for it. And we're going to do training. We're going to pray together. We're going to ask for God's power and God's spirit to be with us. And then we're going to go into our neighborhood. And we're going to put up posters. We're going to put up, hand out invitations to people. We're going to do a prayer walk in different blocks around here, around, around our neighborhood. Here. We're going to be present. We're going to try and strike up conversations with people who live in the area and just be a presence, just get to know people. We want more people in this neighborhood to meet the awesome, friendly people that attend Trinity Church. That's what we want. And so that's what Share the Grace, we're going to do an experiment this year. We're going to change Share the Grace. We're going to make it a bigger event, more focused, more purposeful. And then after we've done that, we're going to come back and we're going to share our experiences, share what God did. We're going to report on what happened and what God did. And so not everyone's going to be able to do that because we're going to have limited spots for it, but you're going to have to sign up for it. And this is going to stretch us. This is going to help us have confidence. Doing Share the Grace this year is going to stretch us and give us confidence to extend those invitations to our neighbors for Alpha. Because, you know, it's hard. It's hard to sometimes voice your faith in Jesus and to say that you believe. It's hard to do that. And so sometimes you've got to get some reps in. You've got to get some practice in. You've got to stretch yourself and talk to some people. And Share the Grace is going to help us do that this year. Okay, so those are some big things. I, I, I gave you a lot of information, a lot of data today talking about our vision and what we're aiming at. Keep those things in your heart. Keep those things in your mind as we go through this year. These are some of the big things uh, that we're aiming for, and these are some of the foundational things that we want to continue in um, as well. Let me finish with this. Let me land on this. Think about it like this. Jesus laid down his life for his church. And the way that God has designed his gospel to go into the world is through his church. And so for us to be the blueprint that Jesus has set up here in the book of Acts we have to be devoted. Devotion, as we said at the beginning, is a profound dedication. I know some of the things I've shared today sound like, wow, that's a lot of stuff, and wow, that's really going to be uncomfortable, and wow, that's going to require more time, and man, that's going to require more generosity, and that's going to require that. And the answer is yes. Yes, it will. But you know what? We'll be happier for it, and God will be more glorified. God will get all the glory. Jesus died that his church might shine the light of his grace to the world. People don't just get saved and don't just believe in Jesus just so that they can have a slightly better life. They, Jesus died so that people could join, so that people could be saved and added and live in community, have fellowship and listen to teaching, life-changing teaching that came from Jesus. Let's turn our lives to him today. Let's remember his gift of grace. Let's remember that we can follow him only because of the sacrifice he made for us on the cross. It's his grace that makes it all possible.